I watched firsthand as the schools scrabbled to implement online learning with some hiccups at the beginning. But frankly, they progressed two decades in two weeks, really, which was astonishing to see. And it made me think that in my industry and probably in yours as well, we've been living in the future for quite a long way in the future when it comes to delivering online learning and managing files and communications and things like that. This is Crisis Cast 2020 with me, Toby Goodman, a podcast where I get timely wisdom from experts in life and business. These guests will answer my five questions, sharing wisdom and insights to help you and me get through this global shitstorm. Today on Crisis Cast 2020, purveyor of independence, entertainment, delight, confidence, and control, Matthew Kimberley gives us his perspective on life in Malta, homeschooling two kids, one of whom is autistic, why the socially distanced restaurant experience is a joy, a newfound love of takeaway beers, and why now has never been a better time to build his new business as managing partner at Book Yourself Solid. Before we start the show, I have something for you if you identify as pod curious. It's perfect for you if you're an expert, consultant or business owner. Maybe you're wondering if podcasting is worth the effort, especially now, or perhaps you've tried podcasting in the past but have been disappointed with the results. In this free guide, Podstar, I'll share the exact seven steps we use to help publish over 2,000 podcasts each month. To get instant access, go to podcastnetworksolutions.com. Matthew Kimberley, welcome to Crisis Cast 2020. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Toby. It's an utter pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So, you're in Malta. I am. You're the only person in Malta I've spoken to so far. I imagine you might be the only person I ever speak to in Malta. So, tell me, what's your experience been so far on a local level? How's it all unfolded for you on the 27th of May we're talking now. Okay, so we're talking on 27th of May, around about, I forget the dates, but it feels like a lifetime ago, Malta registered its first cases. Malta is, a, for context, Malta is a small island. It's one of the most densely populated countries in the world, after Singapore and the Vatican and Monaco, which probably has more registered addresses than actual people. Uh, it's about 20 miles by five, maybe six and 500,000 people living on top of each other here. So when the first few cases were imported, there was a case in uh, my kid's school, an Italian family who'd exhibited symptoms, tested positive. There was um, fear, you know, a lot of fear that Malta was going to be hit pretty badly because it's so densely packed and so densely populated. And so they implemented some plans pretty quickly to shut things down. The bars and restaurants started to close of their own volition because they thought it would be a week or two. And then the government mandated that they be closed. People started keeping their kids back from school until that was government mandated as well, until we were in the situation that I think pretty much everybody has been in, which is everything but pharmacies and supermarkets were closed, including the schools. So the schools scrabbled. I watched firsthand as the schools scrabbled to implement online learning with some hiccups at the beginning. But frankly, they progressed two decades in two weeks, really, which was astonishing to see. And it made me think that in my industry and probably in yours as well, we've been living in the future for quite a long way in the future when it comes to delivering online learning and managing files and communications and things like that. So uh, meanwhile, Malta's GDP is, is heavily skewed uh, by the tourism industry. 
and the airport was completely closed to everything but cargo and repatriation flights in both directions, but, but no tourists, which meant that the hundreds and hundreds of hotels in this tiny country were empty. A lot of the immigrant workforce, um, we call them third country nationals, people who don't come from the European Union, faced problems. Uh, many of them went home of their own volition. The government facilitated some of that. The weather's quite nice in Malta, so beaches remained attractive. We got buzzed a couple of times by military helicopters when we were walking the dog on the beach. But we were never under lockdown. We were always told, you may leave the house, you may, unless you're in quarantine. You may leave the house, you may um, exercise, you may... You, you couldn't meet up in groups of people, but... If somebody from your household and you wanted to get some exercise, that was always allowed. So that's been lifted now. Uh, Non-essential shops opened maybe two weeks ago, and they're complaining that nobody's shopping. It's cheaper to stay closed because they're not running air conditioning and staff costs when people still don't want to really go shopping. Uh, Restaurants opened last Friday, so that's been about five days. And that's been nice, and dare I say, actually even more pleasant, because the tables are far further spaced, and they're paying more attention to things like wiping down the tables in between customers and and things like that. The the government health departments very sneakily implemented a, a smoking ban at the same time. So they said, so outdoor seating is fine. Indoor seating, a bit more problematic. You've got to have you know, more space, which is a premium here. But also, even in outdoor seats, you're not allowed to smoke. And, and you know, people were assuming it was because ashtrays have fingers stuck in them all day long and things like that. But it turns out they just implemented it for the fun of it. So uh, we now live in a Mediterranean country, which is slowly coming back to normal. The airports are still closed. The hotel is obviously struggling. Um, I think you may be able to get room if you want one, but no breakfast buffet and all those beautiful things. It's been really interesting. You could always get a takeaway coffee and you could always get a takeaway beer from places that had the facilities to offer that. And so one of the things I love to do is walk the dog and have a pint. And so I got into the habit of rather than walking the dog and having a pint in a coffee shop, in in an outdoor cafe, I would get a beer in a takeaway cup and I would sit on a bench or for a while the benches were out of bounds. You weren't allowed to sit on a public bench. So I would stand on the promenade, look at the sea and sip my beer of an evening with the dog. And when it was lifted last Friday, I said, oh, I'll go and have a pint with the dog. And I found myself getting a takeaway beer, standing on the promenade or sitting on a bench, looking at the sea. It was far more pleasant. So it's fascinating. I wonder whether we've undergone this detox from consumerism. I haven't missed that. I love restaurants. A big part of my life has been eating out. I used to be a restaurant critic. But I haven't missed that. I've missed my friends, but I quite like the idea that I can only speak from my personal experience, but it wouldn't be uncommon with two kids on a Saturday. We take the little one to play football. And what do you do with the big one while the little one's playing football? Well, he wants pizza. So while he has pizza, we have a coffee. And then the little one finishes football and he wants to go on the bounce castle. So he goes on the bounce castle and he gets chips. Meanwhile, it's pushing lunchtime. So we say, well, maybe we'll have a bottle of wine and get food for everybody. So we get food for everybody. And after that, we get, what we can do is Saturday afternoon. Well, my wife says, why don't we go and buy them some swimming shorts? Or why don't we take them bowling? Or why don't we go to the cinema or something like that? And then we've been out and it's beautiful. And we live outside basically because of the country we live in. We say, well, maybe it's dinner time. Let's go to one of our favorite cafes or restaurants outside. And before you know it, we spent 200, 300 euros on nothing, right? And I love the idea that people aren't going back to the shops. And I hate it as a pro-capitalist champion of the consumer and the vendor. 
but it's been fascinating to see. I'm sure we'll get over that again. People slip slip back into the uh, how uh, the mammonistic ways of the past, but uh, it's been an experience. Does that answer your question in more detail than you could ever have wished? Yeah, that's really interesting. So it feels like you guys have. We went in about the same time with the UK, but you're out of it faster because we're still waiting on the next bit of news. Yeah, the personal stuff, certainly experiencing the same thing. We just went for a walk in the woods that's like, I don't know, three minutes away from here. Never been to the woods three minutes away from here. And I've been living here for 10 years. And it's amazing. I can't believe. So there's loads of stuff like that happening all the time. We're discovering the local area. We're discovering how to live without popping to the shops, like you say, and just buying something and bailing out and ending up at a bowling alley and wherever else you end up with two young kids. Uh, I think our kids are about the same age. So yeah, very cool. You're getting through this. You and I have both been speaking with a lot of people anyway. So as much as we've missed socializing in person, there's a lot of socializing that happens in your life and my life online. And it's kind of normal anyway. So we're getting through that. What do you think the other side looks like for the people who are slightly more normal than you and me? But do you think there'll be more no, people I know what doing, you doing Zoom and, and all of that stuff? My client base is international. I avoid working with local clients wherever possible for a multitude of reasons, not least because this small country in the middle of the Mediterranean doesn't have the same market for what I provide as North America or, or the UK or Australia. So a lot of my past decade has been video calls. I've been on Skype. I've been on Zoom. I've been on webinars. But recently, you know, I am so over this now. I feel like I've got Zoom blindness. I was talking to one of my coaches earlier today, and he said that he read a study that that it's more tiring to communicate on video chats than it is face-to-face because face-to-face you get external stimulus. You can communicate that you're listening without looking into a camera or looking at a screen all day long. So the amount of focus that it requires is actually a lot higher. Even if it's just looking over your shoulder or checking your watch or stretching your arms or doing a pirouette or whatever it might be. So I'm over this. You know, I need a break from it now. I've seen my number of calls increase. Not that I ever had local clients. I think it's just there's been an all-hands-on-deck approach to let's do this, let's help, let's deliver more, let's, let's get out there. In the case of my wife, who has a normal job, she's a lawyer. And again, speaking from personal experience, um, they closed the offices and were working remotely. She already had a kind of remote working arrangement um, and some flexibility, but the whole office was plunged into it from one day to the next. And their experience was, this is fantastic. Why are we paying hundreds of thousands of euros rent every year? when we're being so productive. Now, obviously, there's a missing element. It's encouraged it. But I, I, I would like to see, and I suspect we will see, that they'll start hot-desking. They'll reduce their capacity by 75% in the office. They'll meet up for meetings. Maybe they'll have a permanent on-call roster of people who are there. And it's good for your health to get out of the office, especially, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the experience of homeschooling and homeworking simultaneously, but especially if you're juggling that. The idea that you can't leave home at home is a dangerous one. There are going to be some industries that just you can't do it. Hospitality, manufacturing, warehousing, transport, for sure. But an awful lot of knowledge workers will find that, A, they were working too many hours. You know, can you be as productive in four hours a day as you can in eight hours a day? Yes. How much time in the office is spent at the water cooler? How much time is spent in useless meetings? How much time is spent 
picking your fingernails, waiting for somebody to be available to chat to you. And a lot of people realize that, wow, well, the environmental impact is fantastic. I get an extra two to three hours a day in my life because I'm not commuting. And companies will recognize the benefits. I, I hope, you know, I, I hope that it's a, it's a permanent shift towards, if anything, fewer cars on the roads. That would be wonderful. Just handed my car back. End of the lease this month. It's like, great. <laughs> See how I'm going to do without a car for a month or so. Good for you. We decided just prior to all of, all of this, what's going on, to become a one-car family instead of a two-car family, which we were previously. You know, one car gave up the ghost and we decided not to replace it. And good timing, I'd say. Now we've got the one car for essential gigs. There's public transport in Malta. It's good, but you wouldn't want to set your agenda by it. There's some places to serve better than others. And walking in the heat isn't always something you have to do, especially with a six-year-old who develops walking impediments whenever he doesn't feel like doing something. So yeah, one car family now, and we haven't used it. I mean, it's, it's just gathering dust, really. Use it every now and again and go, cool. There's that McDonald's wrapper from eight weeks ago. I know. Well, I just had to hoover mine out, right? After having it for on a four-year lease. So that was interesting. Okay. So tell me about while we're on that subject, because I'm genuinely interested in how you're coping. Uh, tell me about the homeschooling pandemic role that you've just inherited. I've got two kids. My 10-year-old is autistic. My six-year-old is not. The, I don't know if that's relevant, but the 10-year-old is has always had an adapted schedule, right? He goes to school. It works on his pretty much. They're, they're pretty firm. They're brilliant with him. They're pretty firm, but there is an agenda which is personalized. And also his agenda counts for quite a lot. If he feels like doing it, he'll do it. If he doesn't, they will find another way to accommodate that. And so that's been quite a challenge. Because both my wife and I work, he can't be left unsupervised. That's just out of the question. He can be left unsupervised in the home, but we can't be left unsupervised if we expect him to turn on the computer and pay attention and and follow along. So he has actually thrived in many respects because he is not bothered by people. He doesn't have to wear clothes. He just prances around naked as the day he was born quite happily in his own world, doing his own thing. He likes making music. He likes watching other people play video games on YouTube. He likes coding, he's discovered. Uh, He enjoys playing with his six-year-old brother. But but the more he's left alone, the happier he is. So he's kind of blossomed. We've seen his anxiety levels go from quite elevated, he's on anti-anxiety medication, to almost nothing because fewer demands are being made upon him. So he's very happy. I think he'd happily continue like this for the rest of his days. Not sure we would so much. Then the six-year-old is the opposite. The six-year-old is gregarious, outgoing, extroverted, thrives on feedback, loves attention, loves to be listened to. And his teachers are fantastic, but it's just not the same. You know, turn off your cameras, turn off your microphones, listen to this. The lessons are 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And he's bored. You know, we spend half the time, it's a challenge three or four times a day to get him in front of the screen for a lesson. And then it's a challenge the rest of the day to get him off the screen to you know, eat some food or go to bed or whatever that might be. So the, the schedule that we've set in place is I, I tend to supervise a six-year-old, which uh, the conversation's you know, a little bit of drama five minutes before every lesson and sometimes five minutes into every lesson as we uh, encourage him to sit down shut up, watch the screen. And then I sit in the same room as him while he asks on the minute, every minute, Dad, how much longer? Dad, how much longer? Dad, how much longer? 
and I will stay with him until his lessons finish about two o'clock in the afternoon. Then I'll walk dog. And then I'll come to the office at three o'clock. My wife supervises the 10-year-old, which is a, requires more proactivity. I'm able to answer emails and stuff like that while I'm answering my son's 19 minutes, 18 minutes, 17 minutes. But I can do emails or catch up on reading or whatever that is. But my wife has to be a bit more proactive with the 10-year-old. And that means she doesn't get stuff done. There are fewer, fewer time slots, but she doesn't get to work. So God bless her, as we say in Malta, she's really do, grabbing an hour there, half an hour here, an hour there to do her work. Whereas I do nothing until three o'clock. And then from three till nine-ish, I will come and put my, put my hours in the office in. And I leave the house to come to the hours. And that's caused some friction in our relationship because I get to leave the house for six hours a day. <laughs> so your office isn't at home, it's somewhere down the road? No, I have an office about a 10-minute walkway. Two coffee shops and two pubs <laughs> in, be- in, between, in between the office and the house. Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, respect, honest answer. It's, not, it's definitely not easy. Um, I've got a, my offices at the back of the garden, so I do get to leave the house, but I'm still at home. You've got a you know, shed. I've got a shed, but my wife actually does get to leave the house to go into work, but she's only doing you know, three days a week. So it's, yeah, you know. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. You know, everybody's got their own challenge. We've been really lucky, both as a family, but also in Malta with the impact of, of the illness. I think we've had six deaths in total. There are 150 ventilators that were ordered that are not being used. There are 60 intensive care beds that are not being used. And they've handled it pretty well. Yeah, I've been really very impressed. Daily briefings reasonable restrictions. I've been very happy, but everybody's suffering, right? Everybody is suffering somehow. You get the odd person who lives alone, who is uh, super happy. I spoke to somebody yesterday who's like, this has been a holiday for me, a holiday from everything. I've never been more zen and never more relaxed. That's great. But when you're cohabiting with, especially young people, kids or uh, the dog, even the dog is going, what the heck is going on here? I normally have this space to myself for six hours a day. I normally go unmolested for six hours a day. And now I've got a six-year-old and a naked 10-year-old chasing me around all day long. So she's a bit stressed. Um, but everybody is suffering in their own way. And there are different stresses, you know, relationships, suffering. I said at the beginning of lockdown, we'll either be divorced or twice as strong as before by the time we come out of it. And I don't know which way it's going to go. Still, you know, I suspect we'll be stronger than before, but, but you never know. Everyone's, got, everyone's battling their own demons and forbearance is what we all need, right? Yeah. Uh, Martin Lewis said in an article in the Times, forbearance is, is like when you are forgiving. It's used in financial terms, kind of forbearance on the loan. So, so I think we need to be generous and gentle with people at the moment. And who knows what the long-term effects will be? Yeah, who knows? Well, we'll see. It, it feels like uh, yeah, you're in quite a safe bubble there. Six deaths is unbelievable. You know, I'm sitting in a place where there's been 35,000 yeah. or something now, is it? I mean, it's just mental. I'll pop you, I mean, I don't know how that is yeah. per capita of 500,000 people. You know, the, the statistics are impressive here. I'm impressed with the way and you're in touch with handled. your family in the UK still, I imagine. Yeah. So my dad was considered high risk because of his age and a heart condition. My mother had been into hospital like the day before all of this became a thing for a routine gallbladder surgery or something like that. So they were sequestered at home for uh, a couple of weeks. My brother thought he had coronavirus, but didn't, then thought he had it again, but didn't. Um, But of course, because he was exhibiting symptoms, they all had to uh, 
stay locked down. And, and I think it I think it struck them quite hard. My dad said he wished he could come to Malta as soon as possible. And he almost bought a flight because they were he almost booked a package deal because they were cheap. I said, of course they're cheap, but what we why don't you wait until you find out what it entails? If you have to come here to not leave your hotel room for two weeks, to go home to not leave the house for two weeks and you can't see family, it kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, but I think they were suffering a lot because they have daily interaction. My brother and my family live um, like a mile from each My parents live a mile from each other. I think they suffered um, from not getting to hang out with the grandkids and, and things like that, that we didn't so much. You know, my mother-in-law is next door. And although we did, ha- we had no, con- or the kids had no contact with her for, for two months, um, we knew she was just there. We could wave at each other from the balcony, you know. Okay, so let's talk about business. Let's talk about the fact that you recently started a new venture rebirthing Book Yourself Solid. Is that a good word? Rebirthing? Yeah, I think so. Renaissance is good. Yeah, good word. Yeah, Reinvigoration, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, You've been very effective. I've seen you filling up Facebook groups and making sales, etc. Did did this um, pandemic speed up the launch, slow it down? Was it the same? What, what happened there? Because we spoke literally days before this all kicked off, right? And, and I knew that your plan was your plan. And I've just seen you motor through and get this thing up and running in like so fast. So Right. So Put Yourself Solid is a business building system. It's a, it's a methodology, a s- systematic approach to designing and growing a small business that hopefully becomes a larger business and a way to attract clients. Uh, and I took over the organization around the paperwork, I think was finally signed in January. Um, I started promotions middle of February and revenue was scheduled to begin the beginning of March. Uh, and it did first week, second week of March. Good. I started making sales and then there was a hiatus. Now, I didn't have enough historical data to say whether it was usual or unusual, but I did have a great excuse that people were panicking. Right? So if we, if we look at my sales figures or my enrollment figures, because what we do is we, we sell a license to business coaches to resell uh, the Book Yourself Solid material to their own clients and provide them with support. So it's a hybrid mastermind and coaching franchise. And I didn't have the data to say whether it was an anomaly or whether I was just bad at selling, but I did have an excuse that people were panicking. So I said, okay, so middle of March to middle of April didn't happen. It's not going to be weighted in our averages. It's not going to be, we're not going to say we had a four-week period with no sales. We're going to say we had a four-week period of hibernation instead. So after that, people stopped panicking. And as if by magic, a month after restrictions were implemented, sales just picked up again from one day to the next. Now that could have been because I spent that time promoting the brand and letting people know. But I saw that A, more sales calls were scheduled and B, people were buying on the sales calls rather than saying, let me just see how this pans out. People are bored of waiting to see how things pan out. And I had a chat with Michael Port, who is the creator and founder of Book Yourself Solid. And I said, tough times. And he said, yes, but Book Yourself Solid was first released to the world in 2006, uh, the end of 2006. 2007 was a good year. And then 2008 was a massive global recession. And he said that 2008, especially the second half, it was really tough. People were unwilling to invest. And then when they realized that, oh, crap, I'm going to have to get clients, 2009 became a signature year. Like it was a massive year for Put Yourself Solid. And I'm experiencing the same. And I'm feeling pretty confident about that. People 
we've had I've had conversations with coaches who are pivoting from doing something else to coaching. I've seen people who want to have opportunities to sell new things. So they're coming to us. Um, and also, of course, the very promise of Book Yourself Solid itself, which is we'll teach you how to get more clients. Because people are like, well, I don't want to be in this situation again. So I'm essentially like most business coaching operations. We sell money at a discount. You know, give us a thousand and see a financial return on investment. So I'm feeling pretty bullish and pretty optimistic about the way that it will go in the future because that, that value will, will not disappear. And if anything, become more valuable in time. Agreed. And I'm feeling that the mood is changing to people just taking ownership of it, deciding that they want to be in control of what's going to happen. And as Shweta, who was on the previous podcast a few episodes before this says, you know, we, we are all in it together, but, you know, make no mistake, we're all in our own boats. And so we've got a responsibility to make sure that they're okay. And I think you and I probably hang around people that think that way and feel like that way anyway, which is why, you know, we always work for ourselves and all of that stuff. Now we're seeing, and you're seeing, I I guess, particularly people who have had jobs in the past go, this looks quite good. Yeah, categorically. And and you're right, we're not all in the same boat. Um, Everybody's facing their own demons. Everyone's got their own advantages and disadvantages. You and I are in a pretty comfortable boat, I'd say, as middle-aged, white, middle-class males living in free democracies in Western Europe. Um, But the idea that there is no deus ex machina um, there isn't a support network is getting stronger. It's been great to see how people have rallied around. It's been great to see how the majority of Western governments have reacted to this with furlough schemes and loan holidays and uh, funds available and things like that. But I think people have also said, you know, if, if I don't stock extra toilet roll, extra baked beans, 20,000 pounds of cash in a safe and a gun, then I might not get through the next crisis, right? So people are realizing that the control of this situation can't be handed to other people. We can rally as a community, but a community requires individuals to look out for themselves as well as everybody else. This has been my driving force since 2007, since I discovered self-employment. It's been, you know, to be in charge of your own income to the extent that you can uh, is a luxury that doesn't have to be a luxury if you're prepared to do the legwork and do your due diligence and make it work for yourself. I'm not saying everybody can be self-employed, but look at the Middle Ages. Everybody was self-employed. I mean, literally everybody, apart from you know blacksmith's apprentice and things like that. But the idea of a social safety net is really new. And the idea of a final salary pension fund is completely new. I think it doesn't do us any harm to remind ourselves that we are able to look out for ourselves. And often we don't need to be creative. Um, we, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. You just need to realize that, hey, you can do this because if you had to, you would. Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of that. So as people are joining up to get their license, you've been working with a lot of new coaches or existing coaches that have decided to get involved in Book Yourself Solid. Without revealing any personal details or anything, is there a specific tone of conversation that's happening? Is, is there a theme? Does it include the pandemic or is it just something that people have just got over and they're doing it? How are you helping them right now? Well, this used to be run as an organization called the School of Coach Training. So it was the Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training. 
And I had a branding question for myself when I took over. I said, am I going to keep calling it the school of coach training? Because online education is a fantastic business model. I've been in it forever. Coaching schools are brilliant. Coaching certifications are brilliant. They sell. We know that. They're useful. They're relevant. They provide support and credentials and all of the things. You know, I don't think you need a certification to be a great coach. I think organizations like ICF and, and similar are brilliant for almost unionizing coaches, looking out for them, giving them a standards of service to uphold and things like that. But it's not necessary, right? So when it was called the School of Coach Training, we attracted some fantastic individuals and a lot of fantastic individuals who wanted to be students in a school where they could get training, right? So I realized that there was another opportunity which was close, more closely aligned to the franchise opportunity. Now, we're not a franchise uh, for legal reasons because we're far more flexible. We, we offer you know, no territorial exclusivity, no ongoing kickbacks. You can mix and match your own stuff with the other stuff. Like if you had a McDonald's franchise, you couldn't sell Whoppers alongside it. We allow our coaches to do whatever they want alongside their coaching. But what they do get is a license to resell world-class intellectual property for a profit. Um, and so I decided to rename it the licensing program the Put Yourself Solid licensing program. And what that has done almost out of the gate is attracted business people. Well, people are attracted to it for a number of reasons. There are people who want to learn coaching, and that's good because we provide a world-class coaching education, how to be a coach along with round-the-clock support. Uh, we have people who recognize that, oh boy, this is a really strong mastermind of competent coaches. I think that's worth the money alone. And the license fee at the moment is incredibly reasonable. It's like $6,000 a year, which I think is laughable when we consider the next part because a lot of people are joining for resale rights. Hang on. So this material, which has been ripped off and modeled and um, cannibalized uh, and is used in many business coaching franchises, in many business building online programs, offline programs, taught in many universities, um, is is available for me to resell for, and I get to keep 100% of what I, what I sell, minus my license fee. That means no percentage royalties, no kickbacks, no nothing like that. So there's the third group of people who are joining because they say, huh, for $6,000, I can take this material, which I will be schooled in learning, and I'll, I'll have all the materials I need, PowerPoint presentations, workbooks, um, swipe material, website copy, and I can, I can buy it on a Monday, spend a month mastering it. And then a month later, I could deliver a workshop for 10 people, charge each of them 2000, 3000, 6000, whatever your, whatever your pricing is. And that's my annual license paid immediately. So some people are seeing it as a unit of inventory, which just gives and gives and gives and gives like, hang on, I've got an existing audience. I can put people in a workshop. I can deliver this material and get my money back in one day which is great. You know, that's fantastic for reasons to stick around. Buy wholesale, sell retail. So we've got that group of people as well. Uh, and then we have a much smaller group of people who just want mastery. They want to use it in their own business. We've got a chiropractor in there who wants to use it in their own business. We have the director of business education, a large college who wants to implement it into the curriculum for his students. We haven't been having COVID-related conversations. If anything, the people who are switching up, like we have one coach who, who belongs to a franchise who, who wants to use it because it was recommended as part of his training when he joined that particular franchise. He wants to use it with some of his clients, uh, but he'd never delivered online before. 
because he'd had a local market. So we were able to get him up to scratch on tools and resources and the best way to conduct a seminar that doesn't make people fall asleep using Zoom or go to webinar within about two weeks, which which gave him a massive skill set, which was immediately relevant. That was a rather rambling answer, but thank you for letting me riff. I like it. It's evergreen. That's always going to be the case. That's always going to be the case. As is this podcast, Matthew. Rambling. No, always evergreen. Relevant. Always, evergreen. always relevant. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. We'll make sure people know where to find you, of course. In closing then, what's impressed you so far since this has happened? I feel like the thing with this podcast is it definitely started as, oh my God, what are we going to do? Now it's turned into, this is what's going on. You know, it's a mu- the tone just in the last couple of weeks. So this is where, do I regret calling it Crisis Cast 2020? Maybe a little bit, uh, but it seemed like a good way to communicate with people who said, hold on a minute, it's only a crisis if you let it, let it be a crisis to you, etc." Equally, clearly is a crisis. Yeah, you're riding, you're riding the wave. I thought it was a very smart branding play. Yeah. I, Wait for the next uh, one, it'll be crisis cast 2021, when whatever comes around in 2021 happens, the alien invasion, the meteor shower, yeah, whatever that I'm is. Re- I'm ready. I'm ready for that, obviously. I've bought all the <laughs> domain names. So what's impressed you since this all happened? This seems to be my signature question, one of many been really impressed by the lack of civil disobedience. People are okay, right? Yeah. I've been really impressed that there hasn't been looting and burglaries and, and breaking into shops and kids going feral and running wild. I mean, they do that with too many beers in them, let alone tell people you're going to have to spend two months at home. That's been astonishing. I read somewhere that crime figures are way down because people are genuinely staying home. I'm like, force you to stay home in perhaps a really unfriendly environment. You think the first thing they'd want to do is meet up with their mates, go and kick some bins and probably somebody's heads in. But no, that hasn't happened. So yeah, yeah. the crime has gone down. I've been, I've been really impressed with people's ability to adapt. Um, and it's overused now, but you know, the British press particularly have talked about the blitz spirit or the, the wartime spirit coming back and everyone is all hands-on. And that's been nice enough to see. I'm just, I think props to the young'uns. As we're told, you know, you're not good. Well, actually. Look at us. We're doing okay. I've been, I've, I've been bolstered. You know, there's been an acceptance, a general level of acceptance, a stoicism amongst the entire population. You know, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to come to work for two months because you work in the airline industry and we're going to cut your salaries by 25%. Sorry, by 75%. And they're like, yeah, we get it. Oh, it's tough, but let's band together. I mean, where are the lawsuits? Where are the... I'm impressed with the way that the governments have acted. I'm impressed with the way that they've rolled out testing. I'm impressed that the massive scientific and technological advances that, that normally take 10 years have happened in two months. So if it weren't for the incredibly devastating human toll and the undeniable effect that it's had on mental health for many, many people, alcoholism is up, online gambling is up, anxiety cases are up, probably domestic violence is going through the roof. There's no shying away from the awfulness of it. But if there was a way to replicate the sea change that has happened without any of the awfulness, maybe a mandated one-month lockdown for fun. Everyone's healthy. We're just going to be locking down for the next month. Reset the environment. Let the rivers run clean. Six or one, half a dozen of the other. Venice, look at Venice. You know, I don't know if you've been recently. The last time I was there was kind of 2008 or something like that. And it was... A shit show, you know, you couldn't move for people. You couldn't move for people. You had to get there on the first boat or stay overnight and be up at three o'clock in the morning to get some semblance of what it'd be like. And even then, the rivers were running gross. 
the canals were murky, the cruise ships were stinky. There are fish in the canal town. You can see the bottom of the canals. But, but there are no tourists. They're suffering. You know, people are out of work and livelihoods are, are problematic. So I've just been impressed all around. I've been impressed around. It's just a shame that it couldn't come without the massive cost that has come up. Maybe everyone should do meditation. Maybe, maybe mandated meditation. Because that's what it's been. It's been a kind of meditation slash hibernation for everyone. And, and I like that. Are you a meditator? No, not yet. I keep it's on my list of things to do. <laughs> and I've got, yeah, you know, I recognize the importance of it. I was a real, I poo pooed it for such a long time. And then it just became this recurring theme. Todd Herman told me he does it and he's somebody I hold in massive esteem. He introduced me to his meditation teacher who became a friend and who was a guest on my podcast. And I've got so many important people in my life that have a daily practice. I need to get my shit together, basically. Totally, you know, I met a guy called Doug Brackman, who is a psychologist, wrote a book called Driven. Uh, I met him at an event in Utah a couple of years ago. And he, his tagline is, I help entrepreneurs meditate at gunpoint. <laughs> it's a fun tagline, but he recommends that for the driven type, the people who find meditation the most difficult, A, you shouldn't do it with your eyes closed. You should focus on a point that you can actually focus on. Shut your eyes and all of a sudden squirrels, right? Um, you shouldn't try and do it for more than a minute. Just do it for a minute. But then he proves that it works by getting you to shoot a gun. So you walk into his meditation room, you shoot a gun at a target. And then you go meditate for a minute and you go back and you shoot a gun at the target again. You realize, holy guacamole, what a world of difference. So it's just been, meditation has been, you know, it is undeniably important. Thank you for lighting that fire under my ass, Toby. That's going on the agenda. In fact, as soon as we get off this call, I'm getting into the downward dog or whatever. <laughs> okay. Do what Thank you for the incentive. And people say, do you have a meditation practice in the future? And I'll say, yeah, thanks to Toby Goodman. I do, actually. All right. Well, we'll add a minute of silence audio as well as a mark of respect <laughs> at the end of this. And people will never know if we actually did it or not. Thanks very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, mate. I'll see you soon. This episode of Crisis Cast 2020 was produced by me in London and Kate Astrakhan in Michigan, with artwork by Ryan Field and sound design by Lee Turner. Crisis Cast 2020 is a production from Podcast Network Solutions, a full-service podcast production company who are ready to help you plan, record, produce, and promote your message with podcasting. To find out more and grab your copy of Podstar if you're feeling Pod curious, visit us at podcastnetworksolutions.com. <laughs>